Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. It is good to be with you here today. We're continuing our series, um, Flourishing as Modern Saints. And today, uh, the Apostle Paul takes a really practical turn. Uh, he, he is going to give us some extremely directive commands for how we think, how we react. I don't know, are you ready for this? Let's just quieten our hearts for a minute. Just take, just kind of pause. I, I feel the need to pause, so if you just pause with me for a moment. Uh, and then we'll, we'll hear the passage for today. So just, just take a moment and quieten your heart. I'm reading from Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 11, from the New Living Translation. You can follow along in your Bibles. Those of you who are joining us online, there's an option in your chat bar. You can click on Bible and pull up Colossians chapter 3. C-O-L will be all you'll need. Number 3, and then you'll be okay. Verse 5. So, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and it's all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Well, it's a load. Prior to this, Paul has mostly been going on and on and on about getting Jesus right. And there's a lot in these first couple chapters of Colossians about getting Jesus clear. And he's, he's talking about Jesus a lot and he's giving praise to the Father and to Jesus and to the Spirit for all the good they've been up to in the lives of these particular people who he's calling his, the saints of God, the holy people of God, because they're, they're flourishing in Christ. Two full chapters of Jesus and all that he's doing all that he's doing in the trenches, all that he's doing in their relationships, all the ways this is working out in the, in the workplace, and, you know, you can imagine. He's giving very hands-on guidance for how we would live our life in the everyday that we find ourselves in schools or homes or gyms or work or on social media platforms. Yes, Lord, please, even there, 
he would be giving us hands-on guidance. And if you've been wondering maybe so far in Colossians when it was going to get personal, today is your day. Because actually, if you just took your Bibles, uh, you could try this, you could try this right now, uh, and you held it out at arm's length. Some of you have to do that anyway. You know, I, yeah, that's funny, right? So I'm up at the harbor last week, and I brought one of my smaller Bibles all week long. I'm like, oh, no. And I'm doing this, and I'm feeling like some of you, and realized 50's around the corner, and there it is. I need an eye appointment. Anyway, if you hold out chapters 3 and 4 of Colossians, like if you uh, uh, turned it in your Bibles and you held it at arm's length so you could like notice things kind of at a broader level, if you held it out at arm's length, you'll actually see how all of a sudden in chapters 3 and 4, there's all these imperatives, all these commands. They usually start a sentence with a verb telling you to do something, like, right? Like maybe you have the voice of a parent in your head like that. Anyone? Just me? That imperative? Do this or whatever. So if you hold out at arm's length Colossians 3 and 4, these are just some or maybe most, of the imperatives that jump off the page in your English translations. Put to death, you heard it. Don't be greedy. Um, Have nothing to do with. Get rid of. Uh, Don't lie to each other. Put on your new nature. Be renewed. Clothe yourselves. Make allowance for faults. Uh, Forgive anyone who offends you. Clothe. I'm going on past the passage we'll be looking at today, but just to give you a picture of chapters 3 and 4, you know, forgive anyone who offends you. Clothe yourselves as loves. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be thankful. Let God's word dwell in you. Teach, counsel, sing. Do everything as Jesus' representatives. Submit, love, obey. Don't be jerks. Uh, Kind of slightly my paraphrase, but that's what he told the dads. Anyway, uh, serve, work, remember, devote yourself to prayer, pray, live wisely among unbelievers, let your conversation be gracious. That's just how the last two chapters of Colossians are structured. It's just piling on one after another very direct commands. Why? Well, as we discover, it's because of who Jesus is and how Jesus has changed the lives of his saints. Because of that, a whole new way of living has been created. In other words, this is really important as you dig into this letter, the actions, the commands of chapter 3 and 4 are all anchored back in the identity that's already been fleshed out and expressed in chapters 1 and chapters 2. That's kind of the big picture. I want you to hear that because now as we kind of go back to the turn, the pivot here at the beginning of chapter 3, we want to be able to hear what Paul is telling us about what we're supposed to do in that context. Last week, uh, Peter Hambry led us through, (laughs) I realized afterwards I tossed him the most difficult passage in Colossians. Thanks, Peter. Uh, I try to do that, you know. Um, And and, and what we saw at the end of chapter 2, and then he led us into chapter 3, that Paul was warning these Christians not to fall for anything that posed as spiritual or religious or helpful, anything at all that would in fact distract them from Jesus. So he said, don't get hijacked by a bunch of religious rules. Uh, Don't fall for this mystical spiritualism that's out there. Uh, Don't start thinking rigorous self-discipline is the measure of maturity or growth in Christ. Anything at all, Paul says, that poses as salvation that isn't Jesus is trash. 
and it should be treated accordingly. But if we're honest, you kind of come to the end of that and you think, what are we supposed to do then? You know, it kind of leaves you hanging a little. I mean, don't we need some practical rules to help us? Well, maybe you don't, but I'm sure there's some people around you you think could really use some practical rules. You've been trying to give it to them for a while. Wouldn't it help if we had some sort of spiritual visions or dreams that would, you know, create a little more resolve in us to lead this life worthy of Jesus? And seriously, couldn't we all use a little more rigorous self-discipline in our, you know, flabby spiritual lives? Anyone? You kind of come to the end of that and you think, Paul, if you don't have any practical guidance for us, you know, what do we do? We need some sort of, here's the thing. Well, as we see, he really does go that way, in spades, shockingly. But what we discover is that Paul now issues all these commands, not in the ways that we would have expected. What we see is Paul doesn't just swap out one set of religious rules for another set. He doesn't just swap out one kind of spiritual elitism for another kind of spiritual elitism, or one kind of uh, radical self-denial for a new kind of asceticism. In other words, he doesn't just line up his advice in contrast to everybody else's and argue that it's better. No. What he does here is so significant. I really hope, pray that we catch it because it's actually at the heart of so much of what it means to follow Jesus. What he does here is he locates all of the imperatives, all the ways we are to live, do, be. He locates it all in our changed identity in Christ. The whole of, you could say, Paul's ethics, but New Testament living can be summarized actually in this phrase. Because of who you are now, live this way. Because of who you are now, live this way. Yeah, you'll fill out a lot. But that really, everything gets located there. And I know I'm reaching back into last week's passage, but it's super important to hear this. Peter covered it uh, really well, but it's crucial that we get this clear as we move forward into this, do this passage and even the rest of our weeks in Colossians, or we might miss everything. Because we read read Colossians 3, 1 to 4 together, and I tacked on uh, verse 11. But I want you to hear how our identity, our changed identity, is supposed to be ringing in our ears as we now move to all of these commands. Verse 1 of chapter 3, listen to it. Since, since we have been raised to new life with Christ. He also said, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, when he's revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. Everything hangs on this, that who you are now is not who you were then. That followers of Jesus, even if you came to follow Jesus as a little, little guy or a little girl, that followers of Jesus have a BC and an AD in their lives. They have a before Christ life and an after Christ life. You can even, instead of saying Anno Domini, you can think after death. Because most of us were wondering what the A.D. meant anyway. B.C., before Christ, A.D., after death. Think of it that way. How we live now is to be consistent with who we are now in Christ. 
not who we were before the Holy Spirit entered into our lives, which is the absolute center, the key of our flourishing in Christ. And we need to hold on to that because when we hear this next passage, we think, well, what does it look like to put to death all these, get rid of all these sinful, distorted, harmful attitudes and behaviors in our lives? What does it look like, in fact, without resorting to the very things Paul was warning us not to do at the end of chapter 2? In other words, what does it look like to put something to death in our lives without resorting to religious legalism? Right? that's a go-to for everybody, especially if you've been raised in the church or in some kind of religious setting. So what, is it, what does it look like to put these things to death without resorting to religious legalism or without going some hyper-weird spirituality side of things, which the Colossians were doing, and hey, it's all up for fair today. Or number three, what does it look like to put to death sinful behaviors or practices and not become a monk or religious aesthetic? So those three ways that Peter explored last week with us, religious, you know, religious legalism, hyperspirituality, and rigorous asceticism, these are all ways that people have tried to deal with the same thing that Paul's helping us deal with. And Paul's already warned us against that. Don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Well, then what are we supposed to do? Our lives can be a real mess, right? there's certain things I want to stop. And I kind of think some rules might help me. And, and, and some, you know, of these things. So Paul's saying, don't go there, do this. How do I do it? So he leaves this kind of hanging. But when you hold on to these first few verses of three and continue going, the clue is right there. Holding it is right there. So how do we do this? First, first, we hold fast to who Jesus is. We, we go back to chapters 1 and 2, and we soak ourselves in all of this tremendous teaching about who Jesus is. We go back to the Gospels. We live our lives in the Gospel of Mark, or Matthew, or John, or Luke. We soak in the story of Jesus. We hold fast to who Jesus is. And it's not sort of like start there and move on. It's start there, stay there, hold on to Jesus. Hold fast to Jesus. Don't let him go. And that's been consistent, right, through Colossians so far. We've, we've heard that. But then next, we need to get crystal clear on how Jesus has changed our identity with what he's done. How his death and his resurrection has affected our death and our resurrection. How the coming of the Holy Spirit into us has fundamentally changed our identity. In another letter of Paul's, new creation has come right? There has been a before Jesus and now an after death thing going on in the lives of believers. And we see that all over the letters of Paul. Once you've been twigged onto this, we've see, we see it right here, this constant uh, reference to the fact that you have been raised. You uh, already died. Your real life is now hidden with Christ in God. That anyone who believes in Jesus Anyone who's received God's Holy Spirit is by definition a person who is now alive after having already died. So look around. You're in a room of people who have already died. Seriously, look around. You're looking pretty good, actually. I've watched enough zombie movies to expect worse. These 
are people. We are people. If you are a follower of Jesus, people who have literally said, I died and now I'm alive. If you have bowed the knee to Jesus, if you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit and been made a child of God, you are a whole new person. And Paul is trying to drill this home. Your life is now located in this incredible place. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Hidden with Christ in God. I don't confess to fully understand what that means. But Paul's trying to help us understand you have changed. Your location has changed. Your who has changed. Your very identity has now been shifted through the death and resurrection of Jesus and the gift of his Holy Spirit. That's who you are. Which is absolutely crucial. Because now when Paul goes on to describe how we are to live, it is always out of that identity. It is always an expression of the who you are and who you ain't. You have changed. Live like it. You are new. Live that way. This is the teaching of the New Testament. This is the teaching of Paul. We see it all over the place, and we're seeing it right here. Because your real life is hidden with Christ in God, because you died to this life and have been raised to new life in Christ, that's where the so comes in, or the therefore, whatever your translation is. He links it to this, and that's where verse 5 begins. On the basis of all of that, put to death. Sinful, earthly things lurking within you. You hear it? Because your life is hidden with Christ and God have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Because you are now a new person in Christ, don't be greedy. A greedy person's an idolater, worshiping things of this world. You used to do these things. When? When you were dead. Or the old person, or the person before death, when you were still part of this world. But now is the time. When's the time? Now, because you've been raised in Christ. Now, because your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander, dirty, and all the stuff that flows out of that little just keeps going. It's all about this new person that you have become. And so, we hold on to Jesus, but we get clear on who we are because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Clear on who we are and clear on who we aren't. And that, my friends, is the foundation, you could say, of Christian living, of Christian ethics, of the way we are to be in the world. And it's supremely important. It's not about a new set of rules that was thrown out for you to follow in contrast to the, uh, the, uh, you know. It's about a new heart that has been created in us by the Holy Spirit. Because the law was never successful at changing the human heart. Even God's law, God's good law, was never successful at changing the human heart. But the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to write the law of God, as it were, on the hearts of humans, written on us by the Spirit, so that we begin to love each other by the Spirit and live out this new life that God has given to us. What's so significant to me as I read the letters of Paul is that Paul, the best Jew there was, who knew the law inside and out, who knew and and was so saturated by the story of God's people at particular moments when he could have so easily just reached back and said, chapter and verse, buddy, stop doing that. Read your Bibles for crying out loud and stop being an idiot, which I would have done. 
And still I'm tempted to do. Paul doesn't do that. That's just so astonishing. When he's like, when he's running into like crazy stuff, his go-to appeal isn't just to say, hey man, look, the Bible says don't do that, so don't do that. What he says is, that's not who you are. That's not who God made you to be. That's not who the Holy Spirit filled you to change you to be like. Be who you are. And he brings them back to Jesus. And he brings them back to the Spirit. And he brings them back to all the effects of having Jesus now in their lives. And all that he's done and that he died for them. And hung on the cross. And nailed it all there. And rose again from the dead. And gave the gift of the Spirit. And he's constantly saying, who are you people? Live like who you are. Always bringing this back to who is Jesus. And who are we as a result? So that when he then challenges us in how we are to live, and boy, he does not mince words, it's always located there. Are you with me? Are you hearing this? Am I drilling at home? It's really important, actually. This is like right at the center of things. When you're reading the New Testament in particular and you're trying to understand how do we respond to sin in our own lives and the lives of others? How do, how do we wrestle with harsh attitudes that we carry, spiritual pride, greed, I mean, the things that Paul listed, he just, he just, he just grabbing stuff out of the air. He's thinking, oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, greed. Uh, oh, her. her. Uh, um, filthy language. I mean, he's just grabbing stuff out of the air because I think he's got lots to work with. But he's, he's thinking about the people and the struggles, and we can think about our own. It might not even be in this list. But we can think about our own struggles and the struggles of people around us and wonder, well, what does it mean for us to put to death these things? What does it mean for us to get rid of these things? What does it mean for us to live this new, to put on the new self and be renewed as we learn to know our creator and become, well, there it is. As you learn to know your creator and become like him. He's right, it's right there. You know what? I thought of it this way. This might be too morbid. Zombie reference. I shouldn't make them, should I? Any Walking Dead fans out there? <laughs> you know, the, the reason why I thought of this, oh man, this is just, this just goes so far off the rails right now. Lord Jesus, keep me safe. Um, the way I thought of it was this. I was thinking about like, he, he, Paul's constantly saying, don't be like that. That's who used to be and that person's dead. And I kind of thought about how it's kind of like when we are struggling with something or something's going on in our lives, Paul's kind of saying, that's kind of like your zombie self is walking around, doing stuff in your name. But that's not you anymore. Anyone who's watched a zombie movie knows what you're supposed to do with zombies. He's saying, don't live that way anymore because that's not you. Live. Now, can I, meet, can I do it a little... Don't live your zombie life. You live your Zoe life. Zoe is the Greek word for life, new life. Don't go zombie on it. And, and, and what he's trying to help us understand, I think, is every time, every time there's this harsh response you want to make, every time you want to objectify a woman or a man, every time you have a temptation to just, oh, have I got a story to tell you about her concerned, of course, you know, every time we have some attitude or some action that doesn't represent the new life in Christ, it's like Paul's trying to say, 
think of your zombie self. It's like it just got up out of the grave and started walking around and doing things in your name, but that is not you. Don't let it live. Put it back in the grave. And I think that's the action of putting to death. It's like, put that back in the grave where it belongs because you've come to life. You're living the Zoe life of God. The Holy Spirit is planted in you. You're a whole new person. And every time you start dabbling in all this other stuff, it's like Paul, Paul, the Holy Spirit, Jesus wants to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. That ain't me. You could start saying to your spouse or friends, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know where he came from. He's supposed to be dead. Could you kill him with me? <laughs> Let's put him back in the grave. It's a great conversation, actually, to have with your spiritual friend. You know, talk about the things in your life that are, they keep cropping up. Attitudes, patterns. There's the obvious ones. It's easy for us, particularly if you've grown up in the church, it's easier for us to look at this list and think of all the nasty things. But Paul doesn't let us off the hook there, does it? He always drives us to the heart. He always, he always helps us think about things that are down within us, too. And it may not show up in our lives in obvious ways, but there can be hidden attitudes, ways of responding. And Paul says that is just as stinky as anything else. Put that thing back in the grave. Well, all the rest of this section, and really all that follows over the next few weeks, is a, a way of expressing what this new life hidden with Christ in God looks like lived out in the world, lived out in our relationships. Lived out, as we'll hear in a couple of weeks when Valerie's sharing with us, uh, lived out in some sometimes really challenging social situations that you would not have picked. By the Holy Spirit, we are now able to activate our new nature. We're able to be renewed and at the same time put to death and get rid of these old patterns. We've got the power to do this, but not because we've got a brand new set of rules or we're some sort of elite spiritual force or, or even that we're, we're now like Spartans with our asceticism. No. Paul's like, no, no, no. It's because you're new. Brand new. It's because you're Christ's. You belong to him. Who you are is not who you were. Now, that's not an easy answer. It's not a quick fix. It's not something that is magical or formulaic. It doesn't just happen overnight. Sometimes it does, but not often. It's usually a process of continuing to follow Jesus and let his Holy Spirit fill us and change us. And so that day by day, walking together, we are putting to death that old person and we're living into the life that Christ has bought for us, has raised us into. And so, very practically speaking, how do we do this? Well, I've already said it, but I want to just reiterate it here as we move to communion. When we think about a particular struggle that's going on in our lives, and maybe, maybe you have something. Maybe there's a particular attitude that you've been feeling some conviction around. Or maybe there's a particular pattern, a way of speaking, maybe... Maybe, maybe it's anger or, or, or a way of, of, of responding to someone. Or maybe there's a, a, an actual sinful practice in your life that's causing destruction and harm. When you think about those things in your life or perhaps in the life of someone dear to you, 
How do we respond? Well, here in this passage, and I think the larger teaching of the New Testament, is we respond in at least three ways. The first one is we respond by daily, intentionally focusing on our life in Christ, on Jesus himself. That we take to heart, verse 11, that it is Jesus Christ who really is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. But we go back to Jesus and we hold on to him. He really is everything. He really is our life. We start there, and we stay there in that sense. We don't go off, which is the temptation we looked at last week. We don't go off into other things that somehow are different than or other than or separate from. We come back to who Jesus is. And we worship him, and we speak to him, and we sit with him, and we walk with him. We focus our hearts and minds on Jesus, who he is. And then in that context, we continue to be reminded of who we are and who we aren't. In other words, as we come to Jesus, we have him remind us and the scriptures remind us, who are we actually? And who aren't we? Continue to let our identity be reshaped, our story retold, our lives recast by Jesus so that we hear the word of Jesus over us. This is who you are. This is how I see you. This is who you are now. Let Jesus continue to speak truth into who you are so that you will more and more, as you get more and more solid in that, when these things crop up in your life, you go, you, you, more and more you'll be able to say, well, that's not me. That's not me. So we hold on to Jesus. We let him continue to reshape our identity. And then we continue to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us each and every day. We're told in another letter of Paul to keep being filled by the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit's doing all the time is is making real in our lives what's already true of us in Christ. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. The Holy Spirit wants to make that a reality in our lives. And so as we focus on Christ, we let him retell us our identity so that we are knowing more and more who we are and who we aren't. We ask the Holy Spirit, would you just fill me? Fill me with you. Fill me with love. Fill me with the fruits of the Spirit. And give me the power to live who I am in Christ. Now, here's the thing. It could be that the Holy Spirit asks you to abstain from something as a result. It could ask you, uh, the Holy Spirit might give you a vision or a dream. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, might even lead you to practice some discipline in your life. These things can all happen. This is what Peter was touching on last week. There's a bit of a tension in here. But here's the thing. It'll be led by the Spirit to help you stay connected to Jesus. And if the Holy Spirit asks you to stop something, it'll be for your good. If the Holy Spirit leads you to a certain discipline, it'll be to help you stay connected to Jesus. None of those individual things, they're they're not the thing that matters. What matters 
is knowing our creator and learning to become like him. Is being connected to Jesus and letting his spirit fill us every day. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.